0: and welcome to episode 370 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday, October 2nd, and we are recording this podcast on the heels of a sweep we've been talking about for a very long time as a potential outcome, but it's one that happened and the Braves are in fantastic shape. I'm joined this evening by Eric Cole. Hello, sir. Welcome back to the podcast.
1: Brad, it's good to hear your voice again. Uh, I'm glad that you haven't decided to travel uh, yet again because you don't like our listeners uh i will say that you and i have uh we've covered we've covered a lot of big games uh you and i on this podcast uh and big series and things like that especially in the postseason you know just not just last year but in previous years but in terms of regular like weeks in the regular season this one's up there man like it's this was kind of a wild week
0: yeah so Obviously not quite in the postseason at this point, but um, by regular season standards, it doesn't get much bigger than what was going on this weekend. And uh, honestly, because of the tiebreaker, and all all we'll talk about later on in the podcast, the Sunday night game was about as big as it possibly could be uh, in a non-playoff setting. And uh, by now, if you're listening to this podcast, you know the Braves sweep. Yes, they sweep the New York Mets. They now have 100 wins this season, and the magic number for clinching the National League East is down to one with three games remaining. And Eric, I know you know this, but everybody else probably knows this too. But one quick reminder, the Braves were at one point in the season down 10 and a half games at the start of June. It it wasn't like it was that early in the season. That was two months in. They were 10 and a half games back in the division. People were pronouncing it over at that point in time. And while we did acknowledge it was unlikely that the, the Braves would be able to close the gap, they definitely were able to do that. And we should stress, it isn't over. Uh, crazier things have happened than a three game uh, I I guess swing in the other direction the wrong way but the Braves are going to be I don't know 90 plus percent likely to win the division after today so a lot of celebrating I I would certainly uh, do my due diligence to just say it's not quite over at this point in time, but it doesn't get much bigger than a sweep over your division rival that also swings the tiebreaker in perfect fashion. Uh I'm, I'm not even sure what else to say about the top of the podcast. We'll, we'll go through the details of the series, but clearly uh there was a lot of celebration on the field, even like when Ronald, Ronald Acuna caught the, the final out, there was a fist pump in a way you don't, you don't normally see in a, uh, Regular season game setting. Dansby had a a pretty big celebration in in the bottom of the eighth inning. Uh, sorry, on in the, in the top of the eighth inning, but there was lots of uh, everybody felt. I think everybody felt it in this spot. Um, wh- whether that was you know just the the buzz in the building or whatever, but every, I think the the crowd was definitely firing all cylinders tonight. And uh, playoff atmosphere is definitely overused, but it was uh, applicable this evening.
1: Yeah, and it's it's wild in the sense that. Look, I mean, you and I have talked about it a lot. Regardless of who your opponent is, it's hard to sweep anybody. It just is. You know, you just you have off nights. Um, in this particular case, I mean, you're talking about, like, the pressure of just this entire week, knowing that you basically had to pay, play perfectly to stay in the division the way the Mets were playing and who they were playing against. And, you know, other than a hiccup on Wednesday against the Nationals, which, again, that's whatever. You, you lose games like that. But against this team... The only thing, the the best possible outcome for the Braves, obviously, was to sweep them. But it meant more than just you know you win three games and you gain three games on them. It was the only way to get the tiebreaker. They you know you win that series, but you only win two out of three. The Mets still basically have a game lead on you, and it's harder. You know the the, the everything about that about it changes when all of a sudden the Braves win the season series, which means they own the tiebreaker. There's no more game one sixty threes. There's none of that. It's all decided on head to head matchups. And now the Braves have won that season series, which now means that the magic number is one. One Braves win or one Mets lost this week, the rest of the way. Again, you're right. Don't take it for granted. This could happen. It would be very bad. And I will frankly not log into Twitter if it does happen. But this, the Braves have put themselves in a very, very, very good position. Um I still think it's wild to me that the Braves have 100 games and still have not clinched the division, which kind of speaks to how kind of wild this season has been in a lot of regards. And, you know, I do think back to what you're, the t- time you were talking about, I mean, talking about those first two months of the season, I mean, the Braves could struggle to even get to 500 and to turn it around the way they have, both in terms of just how much they've been winning, but also how they've done it, you know, without, you know, co- you know contributions from the guys that we honestly – they would have to contribute a lot to get to the point where they are now you know the, all the performances from the rookies to you know unsung heroes on the team and again just a, a wild week a great week a particularly great weekend against a very very game Mets team particularly on the pitching side and we're going to kind of get into a little bit about what the Braves managed to do against three very good pitchers I think I think especially the and Scherzer uh, the, the number of guys that I hold in higher esteem than those two guys, I can count on one hand and, you know, to, you know, to beat both those guys and also, you know, really beat up on Chris Bassett too, who's pitched really well for the Mets. Just It's again, a wild week, a really impressive week and one that I'm going to remember for a while.
0: Yeah. So as we always do on the show, we'll sort of go back to the early part of the week and kind of uh, just refresh everybody's memory on what transpired. But uh, as a reminder here at the top of the show, for anybody that's new to the podcast, first of all, thank you for joining us. On the show, uh, we have basically four shows in the same podcast network. This is the flagship show started at all. It's uh, usually hosted, hosted by some combination of myself, Eric, and our friend Scott Coleman. We have Road to Atlanta on the minor league side, which Eric uh, heads up, and uh, honestly, I will say it on your behalf. It's a fantastic look at the Braves minor league system each and every week. We have The Daily Hammer, hosted by Sean Coleman four or five times a week in bite-sized fashion. Sean does, does a great job on that show. And then our newest podcast is the podcast to be named later, hosted by chris willis and steven tolbert all of those shows for free in the same spot and uh, all you have to do is subscribe and check out the podcast network we really do appreciate everybody jumping on the show and uh let's go back quickly eric talk about the national series because you mentioned it there was the one hiccup on wednesday but uh, at the moment the braves not only sweep the the mats but they've also won seven of the last eight games overall they finished up last week with two wins over Philadelphia on the road. And then they opened this week with a a 2-1 series victory on the road in Washington, which I know everybody wanted to sweep in that series, but uh, they still won that series in solid fashion. And uh, I guess the biggest headliner on the field in that series was the Bryce Elder complete game shutout. One more time, Eric, the Bryce Elder complete game yep. shutout. Yep. Uh that was a wild performance for Bryce Elder. Uh obviously uh he sort of probably needed a little bit of help in that the Braves were up by 8 runs. Uh so they actually let, let him finish it out, but uh the first Braves rookie to throw a shutout since 1990. That's a that's a long time, Eric. I was born, but I was not old at that point in time. So uh go ahead and uh, pound I your chest also... about a Braves prospect doing things. I, I
1: I was also not old. Uh I will say that I continue to be impressed with the Braves' ability to place Bryce Elder in situations where he can succeed, uh, particularly going against some of the worst teams in the league. Uh, I do I do want to say, though, that I have, I, I've liked Bryce Elder for a long time. I mentioned before the season that I thought he had a real shot to get a rotation spot. Now, what ended up happening is when he first got called up, his command was not anywhere close to being major league ready, and he was having problems with the home run ball, which continued to be an issue for him in the minor leagues. What has happened, kind of down the stretch here, though, is that the Braves have sort of one. He's made adjustments. You know, he kind of went back to you know being the guy that he we knew he could be, which is he could be a ground ball pit, ground ball pitcher, and you know wouldn't walk a ton of guys. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who strikes out a ton of a uh, ton, ton of batters. Uh, I think that last year might have been a bit um, a bit of an anomaly in that regard, and I don't think it necessarily pitched to all of his strengths. Uh, but we've seen his we've seen his command get better at the minors. And what the Braves have done is that when they've needed these spot starts, when they've needed, you know, just some coverage, it just so happens that they've been running him up basically exclusively against the Nationals and against the Marlins, who are obviously not good teams. And if you have a guy who maybe can get victimized by some really hard contact against teams with the real power hitters on them, then, you know, you can pick worse spots than to put that guy in. But that being said, regardless of who the opponent is, a complete game shutout. Is an incredibly good, uh, incredibly good result, and more importantly, it was really important for the Braves this week because it gave their bullpen basically two days off because they didn't have to come in on Monday at all, and then they had the day off on on Thursday leading into the Mets series, which allowed them to kind of like Kenley Jansen threw three times over the weekend, as we saw, we saw a lot of usage from guys like Iglesias, and we saw Minter a good bit. He didn't pitch, he didn't pitch the full game, this full series in, against the Mets. But the point being is that kind of giving those guys some rest in this, this kind of big stretch here, I think is going to be forgotten in the kind of the narrative talking about the net Met series and all that other stuff. But what he was able to do is to give that bullpen just a bit of rest, just a debt, just a game. I think really, really set the Braves up to put themselves in position to do really well this weekend, because we've, you know, with the, there's a lot of things that were kind of moving parts in regarding to the rotation and what's going on in the bullpen and all of that. And, Elder made things a whole lot easier by being able to completely dominate the Nationals uh, over nine innings. And, you know, again, he he, he had some base runners here and there. It wasn't, you know, something that he did on like 80 pitches like a full on Maddox or anything like that, but it was still remarkably impressive from him.
0: It definitely was, and, uh, you know, that was uh, no, almost a full week ago now, but that was a, uh, a very impressive start. We'll see him again tomorrow uh, on Mondays. We'll talk about that later on in the show. They score eight runs in the game, only six hits. They had three home runs. Um, by the way, it was also the start of what is now, I think, maybe a semi-permanent change to uh, Orlando Arcia at second base. It's been Arcia all week at second base, um, which doesn't, you know, it's not a huge thing because Vaughn Grissom I know started out, you know, Ball, balls on fire basically but he has not necessarily been that good recently but that, that that was at least notable to me we weren't sure at that moment in time and maybe it was a, an, Ar- an arcia owning nationalist park thing because he is at one point he homered five straight games in dc but i flagged that because basically it's been arcia every day at second base since then so that was notable ish to me he, and he did homer the next day as well so uh, i'm not sure if that's going to be forever but it's it's right now anyway
1: well, again, he has some some experience. He's also a good defender, which it certainly helps the cause. And you know how Snit can be like they play. I think they played a good matchup. For whatever reason, Arcia just owns the Nationals, so giving him some playing time there. Uh, and then if he's hitting well, you know the riding the hot hand thing, running him in there in, against the Mets. Which again, you know the the success rate was a little bit different against the Mets, but at the same time, at the end of the day, Grissom had there was there's certainly some warts to his game. At least this early point in his career, he's, you know, the exit velocities haven't been as, as consistently good as one would like. And, you know, are you really going to start a rookie who started to struggle in the biggest week of the season for you? And if the answer, if you're, if you're hesitating at all, and you have a guy who you think might be of comparable value and more importantly is going to do well for you defensively at second base, I understand the move. Like it, it's not something that I felt particularly strongly. If, if Longerson had started against the Mets this weekend, I wouldn't have thought too much about it um the same thing goes with Arcia. I, I understand both the kind of both perspectives there there are other spots in the lineup though, over the course of <laughs> the Mets series that i have some issues with but in terms of you know picking you know rcia over grissom you know that 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 felt fine to me both of those seem perfectly
0: reasonable choices yeah we'll come back to the other spots and you know i've, I've kind of long been the skeptic on rcia and not even i was bothered just because of you know not this is not a uh, a put down of Von Grissom long term by any means. But uh, recently he has been very ordinary. And I think RC is probably safer defensively. And there's there's arguments pro and con. I'm not uh, saying that I definitely would have done the switch. But it seems like that's probably going to be the case now for a little while with Ozzy still on the shelf at this point in time. Um As for the rest of the Nats series, we mentioned Arcea home run Tuesday. Ronald hit two home runs on Tuesday my parents had a good game as well Kyle Muller got the nod on Tuesday unsurprisingly we kind of knew that was going to happen he was really shaky early on and then did settle in uh didn't get through five innings but definitely uh sort of did the job to hold down the fort as the fill-in on Tuesday they won comfortably for the fourth straight win so I, w- I don't have too much to add there but Acuna getting right is probably uh positive
1: yeah absolutely the the Braves really just getting him going and he Again, he wasn't a complete terror later on in the week, but just knowing that he's like seeing the ball well, uh, running, running, he seems to be running around well on the bases. You know, he's getting on base at a good clip. I would love for him to, you know, get on one of those tears where he basically single handedly can beat anybody. Um, this Marlin series coming up, you know, his his last chance to stick it to Don Mattingly would certainly uh, bring a, you know bring some joy to my eyes, but at the same time, a, a little bit of fear. Uh, because this is also dom Mattingly's last chance to get one of his guys to throw at him. So we'll we'll see kind of how this marlin series goes. But it does seem like Ronnie's at least in a pretty good spot at the plate. Tuesday's game was obviously great. He hit a couple missiles. One was like a line drive home run that I think might have ended in the seats, like less than two seconds after it left his bat. <laughs> so that uh, that 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 was great. Um, you know, as as for Mueller, I. I, I wish he had maybe been able to pitch a little bit deeper in that game, but at the same time, you know, one of the luxuries that you got from Elder pitching complete game shutout is that you could cover a few more innings on Tuesday, and it didn't doesn't completely mess you up with the off game off day coming up later in the week. So, but overall, was you know was a a, a, gr- a great game. You know, Michael Harris was really really good, just dominated the Nets again. The Nets are not a particularly good team, which made it kind of like a bummer that you know they they lose a another you know get away game on wednesday but at the same time you know you can't you can't win them all
0: yeah and getting what they got combined and we talked about elder extensively but getting what they got combined from elder and muller is a huge win particularly when like i know you know this very well eric but the Braves, you know, coming into the season or even three months ago, Elder and Moeller were not in the top six or seven guys that we thought were going to pitch innings for this team. And getting uh, both of them starting back to back, not like must win, but certainly important games and winning both of them in Dallas stretch is pretty significant. Um, we talked about Wednesday. Obviously, it was the worst and really the only bad day of the week, in part because the Mets also won. There was a moment or two on Wednesday what it felt like the Braves were going to win and the Mets were going to lose. And if that would have happened, the division lead would have flip-flopped on Wednesday. But because both both results went the wrong way for the Braves, it was probably the only time when there was a lot of pessimism going on. Uh, Generally speaking, it was an offensive loss. They only scored two runs on six hits and ten innings against a pretty bad pitching staff. You know, they they did not score in the uh, Manfred Ball situation in the 10th. The only bright spot being Matt Olson with a home run. Um, Jacob Dorizzi was bad again. He got no help defensively, but was definitely not good. The bullpen was awesome on Wednesday to kind of keep it close. But uh, that was the only, again, the only kind of downswing of the entire week because it kind of felt like if there was a pivot point, Going against the Braves this week, that might have been it because it, could, it was honestly a huge swing. It felt like now, in retrospect, not so much because they had because they went out and swept the series over the weekend, but um, even you know, we're trying to be positive about everything. Like you could never guarantee a sweep by any means. You couldn't necessarily pick a sweep even over the weekend. And, uh, you know, at at that moment on Wednesday, kind of transport yourself back to Wednesday and just like, no one was very happy. There was a lot of angst in the fan base at that moment. I kind of, I I wrote it down in the moment because I thought people were like, like, we we could forget about it a couple of days later. And we definitely kind of did now that it doesn't necessarily matter all that much. But uh, that was at least a a weird night at the office.
1: Yeah. And it was a game that I honestly thought early in the game that the Braves were just gonna lose outright because I was not convinced, despite the off day coming up, that the Braves were gonna have a quick hook on Odorizzi, who did look quite bad. Yeah, <laughs> he was just, bad. uh he was just getting teed off on, didn't have any commands. It you know, my look at this point, I mean like, you know, people can complain like, you know, they need to be starting Elder or Muller over Odorizzi. The issue is is that they just started those two game two guys in the previous two games. so They used, they you know, used all
0: three of them in a row.
1: You lose your options, you know, then with the AAA season being over and all that other stuff, like your options become limited. So it, it's one of those situations where you had to run Odorizzi out there. He really, you really wish he had gotten more innings out of him and they very much didn't. um But I was worried that, the, that Snit, and we'll talk about, we'll talk about innings management once we talk about today's game, but. Um, in Odehrees's case, I was worried that they were just going to keep him in there just because they had they wanted to cover some more innings to kind of keep guys "quote unquote" fresher for later on in the week. Uh, but they, you know, credit the snit they hooked him out of there and they kept the game close. Uh, it was certainly on the offense they against a bunch of you know basically junk baller bullpen guys from the Nationals. Uh, they couldn't manage to scratch together more runs, but so again, hard to be upset when they scored eight runs in the previous two games. Uh, and you know, again, it's, you, 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 can't go off every single game offensively per se. Uh, it felt like that they were going to be able to push, gonna push across another run or two. They just weren't able to get it done. Um, Manfred ball struck again, and unfortunately they weren't able to get it done, but that kind of set the stage for a pretty wild weekend series against the Mets.
0: Yeah. And I will uh, obviously go to that series, uh, in a moment, but first, before we do that, we'll, uh, we'll have some celebration at least mini celebration time in a second, but first they were from our sponsors on the show today. The Braves entered the weekend against the Mets at home in a series we've been been talking about for a very long time. In fact, it became kind of a meme. We were getting uh, comments about how often we have talked about the need for a sweep to flip the tiebreaker. I think we talked about it on like seven or eight consecutive flagship episodes of this podcast because it was just kind of looming out there as a potential. Like we all knew how big the series was, but the tiebreaker added a different element to it. And uh, coming in to Friday, they were still a game back even without tiebreaker. And uh, I'll say this. Uh, I've gotten a lot of response for this, Eric, including from yourself. Uh, before the game on Friday, I, I tweeted out a screenshot of some shaky numbers from three guys since the start of August. And those three sure, guys sure did. are Matt Olson, Dansby Swanson, and Austin Riley. Uh, let's just say the weekend was kinder to them. Uh, I, I take no credit for that whatsoever. It was just kind of very It was very funny. All I said was the Braves were going to need more from those three guys, which is that's just a fact. It wasn't like I was saying those guys are terrible or anything like that. Um, But uh, all three of them homered on Friday, which was pretty funny to add (laughs) sort of the Scott, this Scott Coleman impression of when Scott just calls things on accident. Um, And it got even more, sort of drove in on Saturday and Sunday, you know, Olsen homer in every game in the series. Dansby has been out of his mind. Uh, Riley has been good. Not, not quite as good as the other two in the series, but still had a bunch of hits and a bunch of extra base hits, et cetera. Um, I thought it was a pretty funny thing more than anything else, but it is sort of a microcosm of the weekend because the Braves didn't like pitch in, at least the starters did not pitch incredibly well this weekend. You know, free was pretty good, but he had to leave the game early, etc. But those three guys, that wasn't all the offense but Olsen Swanson and Riley kind of right on cue when they had been struggling by their standards for a while were just enormous this weekend and it has to be said out loud like anytime the three guys near the top of the lineup are hot at the same time this team is pretty scary and uh they were really hot at, at, at a good time
1: yeah it was those three guys and you know shouts to the bullpen too oh yeah and, time. well there's there's the that the, Again, it it really was starting to. By by today, it was kind of getting the meme level. The tweet that you put out there, just because, it, like, it was a hundred percent. They kept over it. <laughs> <laughs> that it was a hundred percent true that those three guys needed to do more, and they basically said, "Okay, Brad, you're right. I guess we do need to do more." And they went wild. And uh, again, like, just we kind of like once the game's won, we sort of sort of forget who they did it against, but. Jacob Degrom, it's like that first inning in that Degrom start. I was like, this game might end two to one. You know what I mean? He he was just you know throwing that you know ninety one mile an hour slider, ninety nine miles an hour fa- mile an hour fastball. Just was making guys look silly, and it's like, okay, this might be a long night. And they still managed to get three home runs off of him. Um, he's never going to be a guy that you're going to get a ton of base runners on, and I think it was you know it was Steven who said it. He said, you know, against guys like the Grom, it's that, you know, you're not going to string together a bunch of singles and, you know, you know, put together those kind of those big giant innings against them. So when a guy makes a mistake that you have to take advantage of it and, you know, a hanging slider to Austin Riley, you know, certainly, certainly he didn't miss that uh, to get one of them. And, the, the basically what the Braves did the better than the Mets this entire series, the entire series, was that power overall, and they punished mistakes much better than the Mets did at the end of the day. And that's kind of comes down to offensive approach. You know, the Mets have kind of gotten away with kind of having a bunch of scrappy hitters that, you know, they'll get a single, a single, you know, they'll, you know, they'll move runners over and then, you know, they'll get a clutch hit here and there. Uh, but they're not necessarily outside of Pete Alonso, who was basically non-existent in this series for the most part. Um, you know, they don't have that kind of that top to bottom like guys can just come out of nowhere and just get you sort of lining up. Whereas the Braves do; they have a bunch of guys who can just really punish you. And the, the three guys that ended up being the most punishing, in addition to Dansby Swanson, who's also playing just out of his mind, and you know is making himself a lot of money at the moment, um, was were you know, you know, Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley, Matt Olson, you know, there's certainly other guys that helped out here, uh, helped out here and there to kind of get this done. But but again, it was funny, but I like to do that, what they did against Max and against DeGrom, I I know that they're like, you know, DeGrom might not be at his best right now. And, you know, Max is, you know, getting up there, but at the same time, you know, there's still, (laughs) there's still some of the best pitchers in the national league and what the Braves were able to do in those two games felt really nice.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, I know that you don't want to make too much of it. They're not like invincible, although DeGrom kind of looks like it sometimes. But to your point there, like the com- the combined numbers of DeGrom and Scherzer, they threw 11 two-thirds innings. They allowed 14 hits, 700 runs, and five home runs combined. Like if if you told anybody that, like that that's a fantastic outcome against those two guys. Um, they won both the games, obviously. And DeGrom in particular, it was the first time he had allowed three home runs in a game in more than three years he had faced the braves 27 times in his career before friday night he'd only allowed two runs in two of those 27 outings and he allowed three home runs against the braves. two home runs yeah yeah so it's like he's just outrageous and the braves didn't make him look outrageous other than that very very uh, first few batters that faced him so you know max free has to leave the game after seven pitches that's a little bit of an uh-oh sign uh, but w- when it happened we didn't know what was going on the camera then caught him throwing up in the in the dugout, which is, uh, I guess, was was an explanation of nothing else. Apparently, he's feeling fine now or always close to it. That's good to see, um, especially because uh, he doesn't have to pitch this week, hopefully, if you were the Braves. We'll come back to that later on. But if the Braves take care of business at some point between now and Wednesday, he can uh, have a few more days off. That would be helpful. Um, and, yeah, they tackle on some insurance runs. I will say Kenley Jansen pitched in all three games this weekend. Uh, he did not look good on Friday. He was good after that. I'll say that he looked very bad on Friday.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. The, the the I was getting a whole lot of you know people referencing you know me talking about the Will Smith experience, uh, re, 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 rebranding it to the Kenley Jansen experience. Uh, you know there was a whole there was a whole lot of you know can we not type of stuff going on. Uh, again, was rough. I again looked great on Saturday. I I was making a lot of jokes and got a lot of funny gifts in response to, you know, him coming into the game on Sunday too. But, you know, you know, faith rewards the faithful, I guess. Cause you know, nothing about what he looked like on Friday made one think that he was fooling the Mets whatsoever and that he was someone that you wanted to be running out there in big spots, but you know, Snick kept doing it and it really, it, you know, it really worked out at the end of the day and that it wasn't just Jansen. I, want, I mean, like I just, again, I want to, I kind of keep going back to it, but the bullpen this entire series was the whole week so... i mean even against washington uh, yeah, yeah, they yeah, were yeah, yeah. really good yeah they were they were great that's true i mean they, they gave up they gave up the run and in extra innings but again that's like you know it's jackson stevens and you're also you're also you you're, also, you're also
0: kind of supposed to do that you know like it's yep. you know with with the bullpen uh set up it's it's kind of like if if you can get them if you can get out of an inning and in extra innings now with the way it's set up without a run it's a miracle so like no i mean it's Saturday, same thing. To your point, four innings of scoreless ball with one hit allowed on, on Saturday from the bullpen. Tonight, more excellent performances from Lee and McHugh briefly and the glaciers who went all three games as well. Um, yeah, they just they just pitched great. I mean, all the way through. And, you know, Dan's being we talked about Dan's Olsen hitting home runs. They did, they did it again on Saturday. Kyle Wright pitched well. Uh, he wasn't like perfect. He gave up three straight two out singles. Uh that was not great in the fifth inning, but like, it wasn't like he was getting tagged. He pitched well. Uh, He didn't, he didn't get, he didn't get beat by any means. And the pitching staff in general, I mean, we talked about it on the whole, but if you go to, to as simple as run prevention, the Braves allowed seven runs in the weekend series. And that's with Charlie Morton pitching quite poorly, which we'll come back to in a second on Sunday. And they still managed to, again, allow seven runs in three games. Now the Mets are not like the 27 Yankees on offense, but it's a pretty good offense. And seven runs in three games. Well, I mean, yeah, they'll the, take it. <laughs> I mean, they still have a really good shot of winning hundred games this yeah. year. Yeah,
1: you know, it's a yeah, good team. That's it, they. The Mets are a good team. I want to kind of go back to Iglesias a little bit because I mean, we talk about Jansen a whole lot. You know, we'll we'll mention him again because you know spoilers. You know, Friday was bad. Saturday and Sunday, very good. Uh, Brad, do you know how many runs that Raziel Iglesias has given up as a Brave? Isn't like one, two? One. Yeah, exactly one, and that. Was back on like August 9th.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pulling this now as we're talking because uh, now that you got be curious. So he's, he's now, if, including tonight, he's pitched 27 and 27 games with the Braves. He has thrown yep. 25 and a third innings, including tonight. He has allowed two runs, only one of them earned. And that is uh, his ERA coming into today, where he allowed zero runs in one inning, was 0.37. And it isn't like it's a fluke. Like his FIPS and like the low ones, he's giving up like like a 400 OPS. Like he has been outrageous. And we talked, and we love, we, love, we, love, we like the acquisition a lot. But uh, there's your closer for next year. In case you're wondering, because <laughs> he's going to yeah, be really I, good. I, 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 had, I, I
1: had a Twitter user message to me right before the podcast that said he wanted to make sure that we talked a little bit about how good the Glacies has been since he joined the Braves. And Unbelievable. That 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 is a hundred percent accurate. He has been extraordinarily good. Uh, more than what the Braves could have asked for for what they gave up, which as it turns out was only losing the services of, of Jesse Chavez for about a month uh, and then getting him back. And Jesse Chavez, by the way, has also been very, very good. So, you know, just overall just the bullpen, th- that that's kind of what impressed me the most. Uh, the, the starters, you know, was more, I guess, speculative in terms of, you know, how, how well they did. It wasn't Max's fault. He pitched great in that game. It just you yeah, he, he he pitched well,
0: and so did Kyle. I mean, it wasn't like Wright was his absolute best, but both Wright and Freed were good. I mean, it wasn't like they had anything wrong with him. Morton was not, and we'll we'll talk about that like almost right now. But the first two guys that pitched are, are your top two starters for a reason. Obviously, Strider in that mix too when he's healthy. But you know, Freed and Wright have been great all year, and they were really good this weekend. And you know, after Saturday. We talked about it a lot and we we've set it up a lot, but just to make it very clear and people kind of watched it tonight, I'm sure, but um I we can't overemphasize how big of a game it was tonight on Sunday. Like we all knew the you stakes. Don't, you
1: don't see swings like this with one game.
0: Well that's what I'm yeah, I mean, barring the only way that I could describe a game in the regular season being bigger would be like a winner take all final game of the season kind of thing um for yeah. a division or whatever. And it, yes, I mean the caveat is that, you know, no matter what, these two teams are already in the playoffs and that that does matter. But the division winner getting a bye makes uh it matter quite a bit. And, and, about, look, and avoiding
1: that and avoiding that side of the bracket too.
0: That that, yeah. that
1: wild card side of the bracket is a nightmare.
0: You get a bye and you're on the opposite, opposite side of the Dodgers and all that all that fun stuff. Um but I mean if they had lost tonight, the magic number would would have been 4 and without the tiebreaker, the Braves could have Swept the Marlins and still not won the division if they had lost tonight because the Mets controlled their own fate if they had won on Sunday. With the win, as we discussed earlier, the Braves now have a magic number of one, which means the Braves only have to win one game. Or if by some weirdness they were to get swept by the Marlins, they could still win the division with even one Mets loss. That I mean, you don't see swings like that to your point, like it's basically. I mean, three games in the standings almost like, in terms of like magic number wise. Like, it's just such a weird situation because of the lack of, you know, one game playoffs now. And because these two teams were tied at nine coming into this game, it was just a perfect storm event and, you know, national TV, all that fun stuff, just a huge atmosphere. And obviously, we know now that they won the game, but uh, it's just a very, very strange confluence of events that led to a game that basically couldn't have been any, any bigger unless it was a week, a week from now in the playoffs.
1: I, I do you think that they designed these uh, these head to head schedules and head to head matchups? I mean, I I have not looked at other schedules to see if there's and the other like season series to see if this matches up. But with the division matchups, do you think that they did that on purpose where it's not a number of games? I wouldn't be surprised.
0: I feel like it has to be now. Like if you're gonna yeah. do if you're if you're not gonna have if you're not if you're not gonna have the one game playoff anymore. You kind of have to have odd, odd numbers exp- because the first—I mean, the only tiebreaker that they give us just... is head-to-head. So it's yeah, I I, I would imagine so. I mean, maybe we're just misinformed. We don't. And maybe this is very obvious, but I think that's got to be the case. I mean, they yeah, they something odd that games.
1: just yeah, it just it just occurred to me, but I was like, what is the second tiebreaker? And then you know, I don't it, think there it is may, that, may, that. Yeah, there may not matter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So anyway, I, I just want to set that up just a little bit more because you know we all know it was a huge game, but it was a uh, kind of a one-off insane leverage game and honestly early on we were talking about this on Twitter people were you know online and offline I didn't think early on uh that Brian Snicker was kind of treating it like that in some ways because of how long the leash kind of was with Charlie Morton I know he didn't pitch all that long but you know if this was a game seven scenario or a high profile playoff game I don't know if he would have let Morton stay out there as long as he would have. Maybe, maybe he did. Maybe he would have. I don't know. But uh, long story short, Charlie had absolutely nothing. Um, to his mild credit, he somehow got through the fourth inning unscathed when we couldn't believe that he let him in the game after three innings. But uh, that was the, the first and really only bit of utter terror was Morton just having nothing out there. And it very easily could have been 6-1 when he left the game. Like the way he was pitching, yeah. they could have been down five. And it would have been weird, honestly. Like they got very lucky that they were within where they were when he left.
1: Absolutely. I mean, some of the, some of the misses that he had were, you know, you you can't make the misses. <laughs> you know, some singles that scored some runs could have very easily been parked 450 feet away uh, to to some of the absolute wrong guys too. And you know, again, it was fortunate. that I did not feel optimistic the Braves were going to win this game. Uh, in, in that regard but one because i i a certain amount of respect for chris bassett i i didn't think he looked particularly great early in the game but i felt like he is the kind of pitcher that could have righted the ship relatively quickly um whereas you can kind of we've, we've watched charlie enough to know when he has it and when he doesn't and he really really didn't <laughs> early in this game so it just it did not feel good uh early on um but they are you know they let Charlie work through a few more hitters and it <laughs> sort of worked out. That's kind. Uh, it was terrible. It, it was terrifying to watch, to be sure. Uh, Jeff McNeil seemed to enjoy having Charlie Morton in the game.
0: Well, um, if, if this was a, if this is a playoff show, and by the way, those are coming in the near future. If you're a, if you're a new subscriber, what we do is a, we, we do a podcast every, every, every playoff game. So we'll have a lot of depth on those shows. If this is a podcast where we talked about one game and one game only, we'd spend a lot of time, on just like how many times it was very evident that Charlie needed to come out of the game. Um, And this is not, I recorded an emergency podcast this week about Morton's extension, which we'll talk about in a second as well. I want to get your thoughts on that, but like, I am not down on Charlie Morton. This is not, I'm probably higher on him than most people are at this point. And even I am like, Whoa, he's, he's got, he's very obviously had nothing in this game. And uh, you referenced it here. uh, Snit's interview that he gave on TV, where he talked about having to get innings from Morton because they have three more games to play. It's like that was that was the, that was the one time where it was like, well, I guess Snit doesn't really understand how important this game is, um, because he was in there too long. And again, they got they got a little bit lucky. He did get four more outs after that, which was honestly a gift at that point. But he allowed eight batted balls, ninety-seven miles an hour or higher, like nine hits and four and a third. It just, I was surprised, even knowing Snit's tendencies, as we've talked about forever. He's not the most aggressive manager, Uh but given a situation like he had nobody in the bullpen for a long time like to the point where that was kind of why I think Charlie stayed in at one point was that there was nobody ready to take him out but like you can't have that happen like someone's got to be up at that stage like that was the the one hiccup and like well, I'm not trying to pile on Snit too much here he's obviously done a really good job all year long but I was frustrated by the lack of urgency in that moment because it was clear that no matter who it was in your bullpen, it could be Jackson Stevens, it could be whoever, they probably had a better chance of getting outs than Charlie Morton did tonight.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there was there was a little bit of our weirdness, like, you know, only letting McHugh only see one hitter when you kind of had to cover a lot. Oh, of you, you know you,
0: you know what's happening there, Eric. Honestly, as soon as, I'm not sure if you have the same thought I did, as soon as they took McHugh out, Everybody that's been paying attention to this team all year long knew what the plan was. And that plan was Brian Snickers trademark. We are going Iglesias for an inning, mentor for an inning, and Jansen for an inning. As soon as McQueen came I, out, I, we knew. Everybody I,
1: knew. I, I mean, I, I don't I don't disagree with your assessment, right?
0: <laughs> as soon as uh, it came but... out, we knew Eric. Everybody knew right then. I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying we all knew. <laughs> no, well, well,
1: it was correct to sure. No, right. It's a little bit of a different question. Um, but again, you know. The decision-making got bailed out a little bit, right? Because all of a sudden, Chris Bassett can't find the strike zone whatsoever. And when he is, you know, the Braves aren't missing against him. They get the bases loaded. Matt Olson draws a walk. Uh, where You can see he's getting pitched to like he's Barry Bonds. And frankly, he's kind of hitting him like him, like him right now. Uh, and then a very, very good at-bat from Travis Darnot. Oh, that was the that was days. the biggest play of the night.
0: I mean, honestly, yep. uh, you yep. you could certainly say that, you know, Olson. And be both homer, and I, I get that. But the single, like most high leverage moment of the of the entire game, was the Darno single. Um, pretty obviously, I think. So yeah, that was a, that was an amazing at bat. That entire inning was weird. Bassett was, you know, he's a good pitcher. He's not as good as Scherzer and Degrom, but he's he's a good pitcher. He looked he looked terrible too. Like it was a battle of two guys. I know people are people hate Morton now. It was a battle of two guys who have been pretty good at times, and neither one of them were good in this game. Um, and Bassett it's been really good all year honestly but Bassett has been kind of quietly a big part of the Mets success in a way that he's never going to get the attention because the other guys are a lot more famous and better than him but uh to beat up on him was helpful and you know Olson hits 5 home runs in 17 plate appearances <laughs> I just what, what, what are we seems, even doing?
1: that seems yeah that seems all right that seems like not 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 too shabby Medals and he uh the, doing okay. the redemption tour is in full effect uh, yeah, everyone he, hated him. Everyone hated him a week ago and uh, you know, he turned it on at the right time and that's, you know, yeah. <laughs> if you're going to do it, if you're going to turn it on for a week. This is the one.
0: His uh, full name of course is Parkview high school zone, Matt Olson, but uh 33 30, 30 home runs 30. on yep. the season yep. for, for old Matt, uh, not the best year of his career by any means, but he has been totally fine. Um, okay. So after all that, Iglesias Spencer, and then Jansen for seven pitches, that was nice.
1: It was, it was a breezy ninth. Everyone needed it.
0: <laughs> well, I, I will say this. I, uh, of course, I'm perpetually online. It's part of my job. I'm, I'm on TweetDeck. And uh, I, I saw our fearless leader, Chris Willis, announce that the game was over before I before I saw the pitch to end the game. Um, so I knew it was over because uh, he was in the ball. He was actually in the ballpark this evening. But uh, it was hit pretty well, the final out to Ronnie. I think it was almost to the warning track in right field. Um, It was a little bit scary off the bat, and then I remembered, oh, I just saw that Chris said the game was over, so (laughs) I know this is not gone. Um, But yeah, it was the, I mean, that ending took two minutes. Like, I was almost not ready to record the podcast yet, because I was thinking it was going to take a little while, because Jansen works very slowly. I was
1: was about to say, especially with Kenley out there.
0: I was making notes still, and I'm like, wait, this game's over now? Like, I looked at, I was like, okay, this is, uh, we're ready ready to record the podcast. So, anyway, uh, I guess the only thing we haven't talked about is uh, more of an on-brand topic for us and that is uh, the the decisions in the lab that we kind of teased earlier because they uh, sticker keeps using Ozuna at DH instead of Contreras, both, uh. Saturday, both Saturday and Sunday. That was not a favorite of mine nor yours. Uh, I don't know what that says about what's going to happen in the playoffs, but uh, I don't really see justification. Yes, I, I did check the numbers. Ozuna has been pretty solid at the plate in the last few weeks, but that sample size is very small. Like he's not been playing every day. His numbers look okay. If you kind of choose an arbitrary endpoint. they're pretty decent numbers. But like Contreras has been really good all year long. I don't really understand that. And Contreras did look terrible. And his it bad against Edwin Diaz tonight? That's kind of unfair to him. You put him in there cold against Edwin Diaz <laughs> throwing 101. Um, yep. I, I just don't know. I, I don't know what the justification is. I, I guess I guessed on Saturday that it was because Ozuna has seen Scherzer a lot. So I was assuming that was probably what it was. But that doesn't really hold up for Bassett. So I don't know what the plan is there, but I don't like it. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, I'm not a fan of it whatsoever. And you know, the only one thing I also kind of entertained is that it's entirely possible that you know Contreras is, you know, nursing something, maybe a little minor injury or something like that too. This is kind of where we get into the we don't really know all the information per se. Um, but my guess is that it's more Snitger, you know, is doing the ride the hot hands things like, well, Zoom's hitting a bit, so we might as well keep him in there. Uh, and you know, Contreras is a young guy. So we don't run him out there, but you know, there's just been like games where, you know, Contreras has just won the game for the Braves single-handedly. He, you know, we have long talked about the fact that Snicker does not like necessarily playing Contreras and Arnaud in the same games. Uh that changed when Marcelo Zuzuna couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. But, you know, I think if given his preference, you know, is gonna try to preserve having the second catcher available and safe. I don't like it because I think it makes the lineup worse overall. Um, I know that Mozuna has been a bit better, but you know, the people who think that he needs to be out there in left field and be DHing and in the lineup on a regular basis are frankly crazy. I'm not, I'm with you. I'm not a fan of it. I certainly hope that's not the playoff plan because I think that's not going to end very well. Uh, especially when you have a bat, a bat that is of the quality that Contreras has when you already have Eddie Rosario struggling that that the bottom part of the lineup looks really rough when you have both Ozuna and both Ozuna and Rosario in there right now, both have shown signs of life of late. I mean, Eddie certainly has had some good games lately, but it it doesn't feel great at the moment when you have both of those guys in there and you don't have a ton of options for that kind of that left field spot, but you have some options for that DH spot that are better than Ozuna in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I actually, and listen, I'm not the biggest Ozuna guy in the world. Uh, if you wanted to say the best offensive alignment would be to have Ozuna play left field, I wouldn't argue with you, but he's so bad defensively that I just, and, and look, we, we know Rosario is not good either. Like I
1: was, I was about to say, he's not good either. I'll speak guys.
0: for you, but he Rosario is better than Ozuna. I, I trust I, I trust Rosario more. I know that's not the biggest, uh, that's kind of a low bar to clear. And I will certainly grant you that. Um, offense only. I would say that what I would like to see is Contreras or Darno DHing uh, and maybe Ozuna in left field, but there are no great options. So like I have a real issue with Ozuna ahead of Contreras. I'll stop there. I have a real issue with that. I don't, I don't like that. I think it's just wrong process. That seems fair. The left field thing, like, yeah, Rosario's had some rough moments this year. He's been really bad for the season. He's been one of the worst players in the league by war. Like, he's been terrible. Uh, he's been better since he came back after the original eye stuff and all that. Which we kind of give him a pass for that for right for the correct reasons, but he's still been pretty shaky since then. Um, but Gross has been bad, too. Like, it's not like he's been good. So they don't really have a left fielder at the moment. And that's, uh, you know, there was the thought about Von Grissom at one point, but that he kind of stopped hitting, so they didn't want to put him out there because, you know, to, to justify putting a guy out there for the first time, he kind of has to hit and he kind of stopped hitting. So uh, long story short, I would like to see Contreras, DH, uh, if not every day, close to it. Uh, we'll see if they do that at some point. Maybe if Ozuna continues to be a little bit cold like he was over the weekend, they'll stop playing him. I don't know what's going to happen there. And we'll save some of this for our playoff preview shows. But uh, at least it's worth talking about because I didn't I didn't love that. Neither did you. So here we are. Um, oh, briefly, Eric, I gave a lot of my thoughts. And by the way, I think all of my thoughts on the solo podcast I did about Morton's extension, that was the only news of the week that was not uh, on-field related. Uh, I don't think you liked it very much, judging by your Twitter feed, and uh, Scott agrees with you. Um, and I, I want to be clear, I did not uh, celebrate the contract. I said that very clearly on the podcast. That I didn't love it, but I understood it and kind of thought it was fine. But uh, And the timing was my problem more than anything else. Uh, what did you make of the Morton extension since we are here and talking about it at 11.30 p.m.?
1: So... And you and I have talked about this a bunch, actually. Is you know, I was very curious as to whether or not the Braves were going to pick up his option, because I have no issues with Charlie Morton pitching for the Braves in 2023. I don't. Uh, In I I think that there's certainly some you know, off the field sort of mentorship slash leadership clubhouse stuff that makes him have some value to be sure. And like, it's not like he hasn't struck out a bunch of guys this year. There's been games where he's been very good. He's just getting older, and he's looked older. This season, he just has uh, as the season has gone on. So my thought process was that I had no issues with him coming back. I had issues with it being at twenty million dollars, which oddly enough is exactly the amount that they signed him to. Well, again, it wasn't exercising his option; it's a new contract or whatever. But that's splitting hairs. Basically, it's exercising the twenty million dollar option. But you, know, you and I have talked about it. We've talked about it in the Slack a whole bunch. And there's a couple of things to think about here. One. The Braves are rolling in money, and if signing Charlie Morton to a twenty million dollars one year deal n- impacts their ability to, you know, for example, sign a, a shortstop for next season, which currently they don't have under contract, um, you know, well, you know, Dansby Watch slash, you know, what the Braves are going to do at shortstop is going to be the big thing going into this offseason, or, or if it keeps them from signing, you know, a relief, you know, signing a reliever, you know, what do they do with Kenley Jansen, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I have some thoughts there, you know, again, very similar to Morton. I have no problems necessarily with Kenley coming back. I have some issues with him making real money, Uh, but again, I'm sure I'm certain after tonight, other people maybe disagree with me on that. So the Braves have all the money that they need to make whatever moves that they want to make. So in a vacuum, I don't necessarily love Charlie Morton at $20 million, but it's hard to be too upset about it, especially since it's basically a one year deal with a club option on it. Uh, Some people thought that was a player option. That is absolutely not the case. It is a club option for 2024, which is an important thing. There's no buyout amounts. Again, it's just basically a a, a free shot if he sticks around. Um, And secondly, and it's a point that you pointed out right before the show, it's that that might have just been how much it cost to bring Charlie Morton back so that he wouldn't just retire after the season. And that's a relevant consideration. Maybe you pay a little bit of a premium if you think he's that important to your clubhouse. And, you know, having that guy, especially with some uncertainty in your rotation with, you know, guys being hurt, uh, maybe some uncertainty as to what guys you're really going to be able to rely on. Well, for example, Ian Anderson was a guy that they were, I'm certain were hoping was going to be a big part of their rotation. And now he is both in the minor leagues and also dinged up. I, I sort of get it, and I, I, it's not something that I you, you kill him for because again, you know the old saying goes: "There's no such bad, there's no bad such thing as a a bad one year deal." But at the same time, I'm not going to be shocked if Charlie Morton isn't bad, isn't good next year. I'm just not going to because based on what we saw, not just tonight but really in the last few months, like he's just certainly has looked, and he there was this was true even earlier in the year too, where he was just having trouble getting guys to you know chase pitches and you know just wasn't getting that same sort of feedback from hitters uh, as he's talked about a few times. Is that you know, once you get up towards 40, that's kind of when that starts happening. And, you know, they can't all be, you know, saw Young contenders at 40 like Max Scherzer is. So, you know, I'm a little bit skeptical uh, of this signing, but at the same time, like, it's not one that I'm, like, super upset about. It's more the dollar amount in terms of that. I just don't think he's worth that much, not because I – now if the Braves, again, if they sign him to this extension and then they don't make moves to upgrade the roster or at least keep it the same – like they should this off season, my feelings changed dramatically. So that's where I'm at.
0: Yeah, that's how I kind of ended the solo show. I'm not going to do the whole thing now because that podcast is still available for you. I definitely encourage you to listen to it if you are interested in my thoughts. uh, If you hate it, that's okay. Um, I try to give the sort of the nuanced picture there and I wasn't doing cartwheels either. I I do think that in a vacuum, it's a lot of money for him. It's probably too much money, but, uh, and listen, if he's as bad as he was tonight, it's going to end very badly. I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be that, but uh, he was very bad tonight. So if you want to panic about that, I do understand personally would not change anything that I said uh, two days ago versus uh, after today's performance. It's one start, but we will see uh, and we'll talk about that much more as the offseason arrives. But that was the one off field news of the week. So here we are. Okay, Eric, before we get out of here, uh, a couple of quick hitters. So at the moment, of course, the Braves have 100 wins this season. That's uh, nice. Of course, Uh, they're number two in the league. In both runs scored and runs allowed. That's uh, usually a good hallmark of a good team. The Dodgers are number one in both categories because they're really good as well. But, um, but, oh yeah, you just highlighted it. and made me laugh. Um, the Braves, this came up a lot the last week or so. The Braves are going to set the record for the fewest bunt attempts in the season and they have not had a sacrifice yes. all year long. They've, they have bunted a few times, but they have not had a well, sacrifice all year long. Um,
1: Brad, I want to say one thing here. The Braves bunted one game this week. You want to guess which one it was? The one they lost? Yep. All right. I'm done. No,
0: that, that's that's obviously funny. But no, uh, I think everybody knows and listens to this podcast, how we feel about bunting. We're not we're not bunters. Uh, I thought it was at least funny that that became a huge uh, point of attention this week. And there are still people in the world that believe bunting is the good play, which I just don't understand. But here we are. The Braves <laughs> are doing just fine without bunting. And we'll leave it there for now. Um, a, an important update on Special Strider. Who, of course, has not pitched because he's been uh, he's on the IL right now with the oblique injury. Uh, Snit talked about Strider today on Sunday, the second. He said that he uh, he could throw off a mound sometime early this week, so maybe I don't know what that would actually means. Maybe Tuesday, something like that. Um, he would not rule out a potential appearance in the wild card series, but admitted that was not going to be probably uh, the best, most likely thing in the world. They're seemingly they're seemingly targeting the NLDS for a return. But uh, Snit, in typical fashion, kind of avoided a real timeline. And I think that we will learn a lot once he actually throws. And given where we are in the discussion, uh, the NLDS is probably wor- going to be where the Braves are because the wild card series only happens if the Braves lose the next three games and the Mets win the next three games. So we'll see. But uh, extra rest for everyone is good. But the chances of Strider pitching in the postseason uh, greatly rise if the wild card series does not exist. And even then... Uh, My guard is up here. Obliques are tricky for sure. Uh, They obviously need him, not only because Morton is struggling right now, but also just because Strider's been awesome and, uh, you know, longer series and all that fun stuff. But uh, are you worried? Because I'm a little worried. I got to be honest.
1: I'm a little worried just because originally it felt like the IL stint was a kind of keeping it safe sort of thing. Like, you know, he felt something. So, you know, let's just be – better safe than sorry they like they they initially didn't even put him on the IL. they're like hey we're gonna skip a start see how he feels it sounds like it's and you're absolutely right about obliques sometimes they resolve themselves quickly like you're like oh he was just a little sore but it was an oblique so we skipped a start and he was fine but sometimes obliques can last like months they just don't like it's just not an injury that likes to heal in any sort of reasonable way and in striders case it sounds like that he only feels it when he throws so again i'm not sure how i feel about you know waiting as late in the regular season as humanly possible to throw him and see how it goes but at the same time i kind of get the the hesitancy to you know rush it too much because if he gets on the if he throws a bullpen and that grabs you basically can't throw him in the postseason and I will make the hot take that I think that a deep postseason run without Spencer Strider is extremely difficult for this Braves team. Uh, they need him to be Spencer. They need him to be on the mound and you know kind of give you those you know at least a chance at some really dominant innings. So hopefully that's you know once he you know, he throws a bullpen he feels good. I think that that would certainly line up. Uh, I I do understand the skepticism about the wild, a wild card series because it's only a three game series it's you know right after the season ends and you know he's hasn't really gotten any just any I, I will ball.
0: say this right now Eric I I would be absolutely floored if he pitched the wildcard card series if the wild card series exists and obviously that's not likely to happen anyway but I Very cannot much. imagine him pitching in that series
1: No I I wouldn't think so either um, um, so
0: yeah so
1: th- so the events of this weekend especially for those who are fans of Spencer Strider were uniquely good we're very <laughs> for good the braves. Yes. yes uh for the for the braves for a lot of reasons so it's you know overall just you know like again I think that they I think that they have to have Spencer. I think that just having that guy who's just you know has frontline stuff um you know call, you know can't ever call the, the the number of guys who really should be called aces is a very small number but he can have those games where you know you just can't hit him. You know no, he's he, been that he this can year, have
0: this year he's been that he's been as good as any ace in the league he's been that kind of picture this year
1: yeah it's uh, there's track record stuff and all that stuff but you you know you know what i'm saying absolutely and you know at the end of the day i think that they need him so you know whatever they need to get him healthy uh including sweeping the mets uh seemingly then you know by all means just do what you need to do
0: yeah i you know we'll we'll do this more on playoff preview stuff when it when it happens uh it's very obvious to say they need him because they do. Uh, you know, I, I will simply remind everyone that Dylan Lee started, a, started a world series game a year ago and they won the world series. So they, they can do it without him. Uh, would it be easy? Well, they, no, <laughs> but they could, but, it's but, possible. But, but, but,
1: but Dylan Lee wasn't the reason that they won that game. It's because that is, of the that, that is, that is correct.
0: And, yeah. That is correct. But well, no, I mean, 21,
1: 21 game winner, Kyle, right?
0: Yeah. And the big, you know, okay, we'll, we'll do more of this later, but the big thing with Strider is, I know there's been a lot of focus on Morton, but even it's beyond, it's the, it's the, it's the next step beyond. And, and I know, I know Bryce Elder has been great recently. Uh, there's no uh, assurance. would be awesome in the playoffs. You don't have a lot of depth there. You know, Ian is hurt and has been bad this year. Like they don't have a lot of depth and Odorizzi, No one, nobody wants to see, including me, even though I've won. The, I've been the one defending him. No one, no, one, no one's going to want to see him in the playoffs. So it's like uh strider thing, cross your fingers, basically. So we'll come back to that later on, but there you go. Um, obviously there's a little bit less drama on this than there would have been, but there's just for detail's sake, the final series of the season begins on Monday. They're in They're going to Miami as we speak. I'm sure they're probably already on the plane or close to it on the way down to uh, Miami. They are going to be throwing elder on Monday. Uh, if the Braves win Monday, it's uh, the division is clinched and nothing else to worry about. If the Braves were to lose on Monday and the Mets win, then they have to try on Tuesday and so on and so on. Uh, currently, There is no one listed as the probable starter for Tuesday or Wednesday, probably because they know that if they clinch it on Monday, things are going to change. Basically Tuesday, though, there aren't a lot of options. Uh, Odorizzi is the only guy that is on schedule to pitch on Tuesday um, of the guys that are currently on the major league roster. They could do a bullpen game if they don't want to throw Odorizzi. They could start him and have a very short leash on him. Etc. But, um, even in the minors, like, you know, the situation better than I do, but there isn't like there's a great option waiting for them there either. You know, Mueller, uh, Mueller could have, could go, but he went on the IL, not, not in the IL. He got, uh, he got sent down. So there's like a little bit of a, there's a tricky situation where somebody have to go on the IL to bring him back essentially. Um, so I don't know what they're going to do on Tuesday, if they need to try on Tuesday, but we'll see. And then if for whatever reason they had to, pitch max freed on Wednesday. They will, if they, if they win. sorry, if they lose the first two in Miami and the Mets win the first two uh, they're going to have to try on Wednesday and then you probably throw max freed and that messes you up for the, for the next series, if you lose. So all that said, just finishing it, finish it up on Monday would be nice. There is one little uh, one helpful nugget from the Marlins um, that they shut down Sandy Alcantara. So if it gets to Wednesday, it will not be Alcantara for the Marlins. That's helpful. But man, I just hope it's over on Monday. It'd be a lot easier, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, it would be. Unfortunately, they have uh, noted Marlin and National Killer Bryce Elder starting on Monday, so they do. You know, yeah. Uh, so that that certainly helps the cause. Plus, you know, the Braves are you know very obviously coming off a you know a really good week where they're playing really really well. So you know, I imagine that we're going to be getting some some good news sometime early this week. Uh, it's just. Again, the Mets' position is just incredibly difficult. They just have no room for error, and they've had some. They, they just they just threw their top three pitchers, and now they have to go and you know basically play flawless baseball this week to even have a chance.
0: So, yeah, it's Carrasco. It's, it's Carrasco against Corey Abbott in D.C. on Monday for the Mets against the Nationals and the Braves. Currently, it's Elder against Jesus Lizardo. So uh, we'll see. And then Tuesday, a lot, a lot of TBDs. But the math is in the Braves' favor. They just have to win one, and that will be that. Um, you know, we'll do more of this uh, this week because we we don't really know the recording schedule. You know, Sean Coleman will be doing his Sean Coleman daily hammerness, no matter what. But there's two very distinct scenarios for scheduling. If the Braves are uh, able to win the National League East, as we all expect them to do, they will be off for a long time. They will be off Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then they have the NLDS would begin on October 11th, Tuesday. So that is a, a long break. That's a five-day break in between if they win the National League East. If they do not win the National League East, which, again, knock on wood, they will, um, then they have to play a best-of-three series Friday, Saturday, Sunday, in the wild card. And uh, they only have a couple of days off around that Thursday and Monday. So uh, if if they were to just go ahead and put this thing away, they can line, they can line everything up. Uh, It's more, it's more rest for Strider. It's being able to throw Max Freed in game one, Kyle Wright in game two, etc. That'd be very nice. As far as the potential opponents, by the way, um, nothing is assured right now. The Cardinals basically are locked into the three seed, so they're going to be in the mix if the Braves were to win the division by proxy. The two seed they will face either the Cardinals or, um, The the other options would be the Phillies uh, versus the Padres. The Phillies currently have a magic number of one to clinch a wild card spot. The Padres are ahead of the Phillies right now. They're they're the five seed. Um, We can get into that a lot more later on with Sean, but uh, it looks like if you are a betting man, and I am on occasion, of course. uh, Total degenerate. Braves Braves two seed, Dodgers one seed, Cardinals three seed, Mets four seed, and then uh, a little bit of volatility between the Padres and the Phillies, but that's where we are at this point. Yep, uh, I will say
1: that I continue to be very hopeful to avoid the whole uh, play the Padres followed by nope. having to deal with the Dodgers side of the bracket. Uh, nope. the, that that whole side of the bracket, let's just not hope. Let's just let's just avoid that whole.
0: Well, no, whole here situation. here it is, Eric. I, I, I've seen some some discussion about this. Uh, it's as simple as this: don't play the wild card series. <laughs> That's exactly yeah, exactly. I don't care what a, a else three, happens. A three game don't play the World series. series.
1: A three game series against anybody who's in the playoffs is not where you want to be. Against, against
0: anybody, you don't you do not want to have to play a best of three in baseball. There's two more too much randomness involved. Like just win the division. The Dodgers are locked in the number one seed. You can't you can't get to that. But be be the two seed. Just win the division. Be the two seed. Again, beyond the the reality of missing a three game series, which you basically just advance with a buy. You also, get, you also get five days off. All of that is good. <laughs> there is no, like, I, I think you have to tie yourself in knots to try to, try to get to a, a situation. And I, I know you seen it, like I have, in your mentions. Like, people still think it would be better to go the other way. And, like, I don't understand that. You are, no, there's no argument for not being better off having a bye. Yeah. Period.
1: After 162-game season, uh, aside from the fact that very obviously a guy like Ronald Cooney Jr. would sure love to have a few days off in a row uh, for very clear and obvious reasons, all those little minor lingering injuries, just fatigue, your bullpen, all that stuff, you want the break. You just want it. There, I understand that that you could theoretically be rusty, but this is a Braves team that has, you know, had breaks and has played postseason with breaks, postseasons with no breaks. And I can tell you from watching both of those things is that when they've actually had days off, they've played better because if we saw the end of that Dodgers series back in 2020, when they had the lead in the series and they were very clearly gassed at the end because there were no days off in that playoff series and this playoffs these playoffs because of the way the lockout went there are less days off over the course of the postseason get those get those days off now because nothing else is guaranteed
0: yeah and famously uh, Max Freed's been a guy who's always been better with longer rest that's one yep. that, that's, that's your game one starter no matter what happens unless, he, unless they for some reason have to use them on Wednesday but uh, yeah so line it up win the division put it away Hopefully Monday, and then go from there. Uh, we've done a lot of talking on this episode, Eric, as we are prone to do. But uh, just to bring it full circle, it was a heck of a weekend for the Atlanta Braves to do what they—the only way for the last we talked—we've talked about it for two months—the only way they had a chance to get the tiebreaker back was to sweep this series, and they did it in their home park, and they are one win or Mets loss away from clinching yet another division title. I'm old enough as you are to remember when the Braves won the division every single year, basically. Um, But this would be a fifth consecutive division win. That would be pretty remarkable. Once again, after the incredible, after the long, 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 long run in our childhood, to have to do that again now with five in a row would be wild. And they are on the precipice. It's been a heck of a weekend.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in previous years, you know, the Braves were somewhat fortunate that the competition wasn't there, but that was not the case this year. No. You know, again, 100 again, wins 100, and they have not clinched yet, as you said. Yep, 100 wins and the, the division race is not over. If I had told you the Braves were going to win 100 games this year, you would have guessed the Braves would have won the division by at least six games, probably. Oh, uh, more, I think. What, I mean, like, what? That's the. A lot of people were predicting the Mets to win a, to win a lot of games this year. Yeah, but, you know, I guess, I guess maybe I was
0: thinking like 100 games with three games to play. Because the thing is, if the Braves, even if they don't try that hard this week in Miami – they they still probably win two of three more often than not in the series. Yeah, I'm
1: not I'm not I'm not taking anything for granted. No, I'm, honest, not I'm not either. I'm but, not either. We guess, we did it on
0: you and I. We're covered, Eric. You and I talked about it multiple times on this podcast. How nothing is assured. They have to go out and win a baseball game on Monday. Um, but all that said, like to have a hundred wins now. I mean, if they if they win if they win two out of three in Miami, they will have the best record the Braves have had since 1999. They've already yeah, clinched gonna, the best record yeah. since 2003, so that's yeah, a long time.
1: We're not. going to talk, <laughs> talk about how that 1999 season. Ended, uh, I'm, so. I'm
0: with you all the way. Trust me, but uh, the, uh, only, the, uh, only, the, the only, the only, the only team, real. the only team in my lifetime, the Braves. Uh, no, not, that's not true. The only, the only team in my more coherent lifetime, the Braves can't catch first regular season wins is 98. Um, they won 106, 98. But uh, yeah, 100 win, 100 win team already. And listen, they won the World Series last year with 88 wins. <laughs> A lot is uh, yep. a lot is yep. different this time around. Um, Eric, thank you for joining me late into the evening. Uh, Scott, I was told, and I quote, that he was going to be, uh, I think, divorced by the end of the night if he did this podcast with us. I tried to get him on the podcast at the last minute, and uh, I think he had, to, he had to he had to handle some stuff at home. So
1: get it together, Coleman. Get it together. Come, come on, Scott. us uh, buy, anyway. buy, buy some flowers, send some apologies. You know, and, you know. <laughs>
0: Whatever. we'll have much more from all of us in the future because no matter what happens in the division race, the Braves will be playing playoff baseball uh, within the next week plus. So uh, Eric, please plug in anything you got going on. I know you are, as I mentioned, at the very top of the podcast. You are the host of the road to Atlanta podcast and a minor league season is over, unfortunately for you, I guess you can sleep some more now, uh, but uh, what else is going on in your world?
1: Uh, well, I mean, going, going into the offseason, we're going to be doing a lot more of the minor league player review type stuff. Uh, still, uh, when I kind of mentioned this to Brad, we're still trying to figure out what we're going to do with Road to Atlanta this week. Uh, I imagine that tomorrow's game might impact our plans in terms of whether that we're recording Road to Atlanta. If we're just being honest. Uh, so, you know, whether or not maybe I do something with, you know, Sean on the hammer or something like that if the Braves do manage to clinch. Uh, but we are going to be continue doing Road to Atlanta on this same very feed. You know, you've subscribe to the Battery Power podcast. You'll get that. That's our minor league show. And we're going to be obviously going to be transitioning more to offseason content, talking kind of retrospectively, looking ahead a little bit to kind of what we expect coming into the next year, talking a little bit about things like the IFA signings and all this other stuff that won't really kind of come until January. So at the moment, we're kind of, you know, enjoying a little bit of downtime. Uh, without having the right recaps of the, all the minor league games every single day. Uh, it is safe to say that my, my crew is quite um, was quite tired at the end there, uh, especially given the state of the minor league system at the moment. But you know, make sure you keep an eye on the, the podcast stream. And I'm sure we're going to have some retrospective-type stuff uh, in the relatively near future. But right now, it's postseason time for Braves baseball.
0: Yep, yeah, we'll be dialing it in. As I mentioned before, we uh, will have a podcast after every single playoff game. Last year, we did that, and it was a lot of fun, and we were all tired at the end, but uh, we enjoyed ourselves throughout, and we've only expanded our operation in the podcast space since then, adding Steven, uh, a lot more Sean, adding, getting Chris Kristen, getting Kristen in the mix more often as well. So the, uh, the six of us are going to be uh, prominently featured on this podcast network over the next, hopefully, long playoff run for the Atlanta Braves. But uh, please subscribe to the podcast across platforms. The best thing you can do for the show is to subscribe and download, um, followed by sharing it with friends, telling friends about the podcast. I know there are Braves listeners out there potentially that might enjoy our show if they were to find it. So please go ahead and tell... Braves fans in your life about this podcast, how to give us a chance over the next uh, couple of days and weeks, et cetera. As far as podcast planning is concerned, we'll have shows this week. No, no doubt about that between, uh, between Sean, uh, we'll have um, no matter what happens, there'll be a show after the regular season, either setting up the wildcard round for setting up the division series, we won't know who the Braves are playing in the division series if they don't if they are uh, if they're the two seed. So we'll have to uh, sort of play it by ear. But again, the best way to find the podcast and subscribe and support the show, subscribe across platforms: Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. Eric, thank you for being here. Please follow Eric on the Twitter machine. Follow the site on Twitter as well as reading the reading the site as well: BatteryPower.com, and then at BatteryPowerSBN. Follow me if you'd like to at BT thank you for listening everybody see you all later in the week bye